Um, let me quickly, and I don't have a lot of time this morning, and this isn't even something, I want you to know this isn't even something I want to bring up, but I would be uh, involved in a dereliction of duty if I did not. Um, let me just say this. As we are moving into a season in our culture where the brokenness, sexual brokenness and confusion in our culture is becoming more and more pronounced, I just want to say this openly. We love people who are broken and need healing. Amen? We love them. If people are dealing with sexual addictions or, or brokenness, I just want to say on behalf of all of us, we want those people to come to this church. Uh, now, I want you to understand, as people are getting healed of all that kind of stuff, there are certain areas of ministry that are just simply off limits, right? Uh, we protect our children's ministry. Uh, we, we don't put people in positions of leadership when, when they're not ready for that or when they shouldn't be in there. That's a weak area of their life. But I just want to say this. If you're out here today and you're dealing with sexual sin, if you're in adultery, if you're in pornography, if you're in fornication, if you're uh, dealing with sexual confusion, gender identity confusion, you're struggling with homosexuality, lesbianism, I just want to say we welcome you in this place and Jesus loves you so much. He shed his blood for you so that you could be absolutely healed and delivered. You can't even join the, the body of Christ unless you admit that you're broken. And I just want to say that loudly and clearly because you know what? That's never in the newspaper. But you need to hear it from my heart. And I'll just tell you this. In our culture today, there are more and more, as we're opening the floodgates of confusion and perversion, there are going to be more and more people damaged and that need help. I'm going to get into that as I talk about that in my message. But I'm telling you, folks, we just crossed an amazing threshold this week. On May the 13th, the Obama administration issued an edict to all U.S. schools requiring that they open bathrooms according to the self-proclaimed gender identity instead of the person's biological sex or risk a lawsuit or the loss of federal funds if you don't comply. Here's some of the specific wording of the mandate that you may or may not know about. It dictates that boys who self-identify as female be allowed to use girls' locker rooms and shower facilities. Specifically, it states that making a gender-neutral single-stall bathroom available to transgender students is insufficient. If a girl's bathroom or locker room exists, boys and men who identify as females must be allowed entry, and vice versa. It dictates that students must be allowed to play the sport of the gender they self-identify. That would have been helpful to me. If I couldn't make all-state in, foot or in, in, in baseball, I could join the girls' softball team and be all-state, maybe get a girls' scholarship. I mean, I'm having a little fun with this only because it's insanity. You could be the tooth fairy if you want. You can be the Easter bunny, whatever you want to be, whatever your feelings. You have to have special bathrooms for Easter bunnies. All right. Specifically states that a student may self-identify with his or her gender without parental permission, of course, or knowledge. So you could send your son off to school, and he can actually be a girl all day long and at school, at least pretending to be a girl, and parents don't even need to be a are uh, made aware of that. It forbids any medical requirements as a prerequisite for the new gender identity. And on field trips, ready for this one, on school field trips, boys who self-identify as female must be allowed to sleep in the same hotel rooms as female students. Ready for this? Providing a private hotel room for transgender student is not allowed unless all students are lodged in private rooms. Now, I can't even explain and I don't think I need to explain how absolutely out of touch with reality this is. 
And then when you have the federal government saying, you're either going to comply or we're taking all of your funding away. You know, in Chicago, that's called the mafia. It's called, it's called extortion. But when our president tries to do it, it's somehow moral high ground, anti-discrimination, whatever. This, that's right, this is tyranny. Our founding fathers would have absolutely been storming the White House. Uh, this is unbelievable. And, and let me just say this. I'm getting ready to move into a message that turned out to be a little intense. Um, but how many of you know it's, maybe it's time for a little intensity? Because here's the deal, and I'm speaking to you as a spiritual father, okay? It's one thing for me to stand in the pulpit, or some of you saw, you know, I, I just want to say, I, I, don't, I don't get any joy. You know, this was announced on Friday, and Friday is supposed to be my day off, and I'm getting phone calls and media calls, and what do you think about this? So I, I got to come in on my day off and explain why that's a bad idea. I mean, you know, you know what I'm saying? When we, when we go out and we stand in front of Planned Parenthood, who wants to stand in front of Planned Parenthood? You know what I'm saying? Who, who wants to go do that? But except, except for the small fact that they're killing children in our community and somebody should care about it like us. You know, this Thursday night, 7 o'clock, Benjamin Franklin Middle School, uh, there's a hearing to vote on a civil on a LGBT special rights status SOGI law for Valparaiso. Now, Valparaiso is right next door, so they're now in, in our neighborhood. So listen, I don't want to be at a governmental meeting trying to explain to people who should know better why this is a bad idea. But guess where I'm going to be Thursday night? You know why? Because duty demands it. Because we can either pretend like we can hide from this stuff or we can stand up and be the people God's called us to be. Now, now let me just share something else with you. Our church is full of administrators and teachers. Praise God. Love you all. We have business leaders in this room right now. Business leaders, marketplace leaders in this room right now. We have public elected officials that go to this church. Now, I got on my Facebook feed and somebody was celebrating the fact that a young man at Portage High School just recently for their prom was up for prom queen because he really thinks he's a girl trapped in a boy's body. And they showed the picture of this confused young man with lipstick and a dress wearing a prom dress in the whole nine yards. And I'm sitting there, here's what's going through my mind. Is there not one Christian teacher or administrator in the entire Portage school system with enough courage to stand up and say, what are we teaching our children? In fact, the media was fawning over the situation. This is child abuse. And I'm just telling you this, it's not enough for pastors to stand. In fact, if you're waiting for that to happen, don't hold your breath because we can't get them out from behind the pulpit either. But I'm just telling you this, in your area of marketplace, you are going to have to speak because you're going to stand before God someday. And it's not just religious folks, pastor types that are going to be held accountable. You have to speak in your area of leadership. And if you don't speak, I'm just telling you, God's holding you responsible because you cannot compartmentalize your faith. Jesus is either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. We got this next generation coming up. I'm looking, what kind of world, if we fail to stand up and say, excuse me, the emperor has no clothes on, we're nuts. 
If we don't speak now, what kind of perversion are we inheriting for our kids? And I'll just tell you this. If I were a public school official, I would be screaming loudly now for my future because I'll tell you this. There will be a mass exodus from our public schools if we allow this kind of perversion to take place. Gone. Gone. Anybody with a a brain in their head is going to go, okay, this is not even workable. So here's what what you do. For years, the other side has has thrown it in our face like, how could you not completely embrace this lifestyle as good, home, moral, wholesome, et cetera, et cetera? You must be crazy not to. And we've all been like, oh, yeah, forgive us. You know, yeah, what are we thinking? We need to love you, blah, 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 blah. And we get shamed into a corner. It's time for us to say, are you folks nuts? Hello, anybody home? Who in their right mind as a parent would subject their daughter to this kind of insanity in the name of anti-discrimination? Even biology tells us every single cell in your body is either male or female. And if you put lipstick on or wear an athletic supporter, it ain't changing what your DNA is. That's biology. That's not theology. That's biology. I hate to be even talking about this. But you know what? If, if we weren't talking about this, we would be nuts. Because you can't hide from this. You cannot hide from this. You have got to get involved. We are losing our minds. And I'm telling you, this is a sign of judgment. We don't even know the difference between boys and girls. We're living in a decadent, perverted, dark culture. But let me tell you something else that's going to make you uncomfortable. It's not the darkness's problem. It's the light's problem. Darkness just does what darkness does. But when light shows up, darkness flees. It's the church. It's the church. It's the church. Our job is to show up and to love, but to speak the truth. And I need you to join us. We'd love to see all of you in Valparaiso at Benjamin Franklin High School wearing a green shirt because here's the other thing the media does. There's a thousand people there and they go, yeah, there was about even crowd supporting both. No, there's not. We're wearing green shirts. We want them all to know everybody wearing green is for sanity and for health and for life, for sexual purity. So I encourage you. I don't know what you're doing on Thursday night, but I'll just tell you this. If, if you don't stand in Valparaiso, it's coming to a community near you like your community. And at some point, you got to stand. 7 o'clock, Benjamin Franklin Middle School, Valparaiso City Council meeting. We need to show up. Get your Bibles open in the time that we have left. Holy cow. In the time that we have left. Sounded like Harry Carey there. All you Cub fans should. All you Cub fans should be rejoicing this morning. All right. (laughs) Boo. Come on, there's enough love in Chicago for all of us. Let's go. All right. Uh, First Corinthians, I'm sorry, First Thessalonians chapter 3. I want you to drive home this morning three attributes as it relates to being spiritual fathers or mothers that all of us should be aspiring to. And listen to me, when I say spiritual mother or father, I'm not talking to you as like pastors, congregation. How many of you know that there are no, there aren't those kinds of distinctions in the Bible? We're all lovers of Jesus, and we should all be a spiritual 
father to somebody or a spiritual mother to somebody. Amen? In fact, listen, it's interesting. I'm talking about spiritual mothering and fathering, and we can't even get our gender straight. You're not even going to be able to understand the Bible if we don't get, if we don't fight for this, all right? There's a difference between spiritual mothers and fathers. But I want to give you three different marks that Paul's setting forth here. And I want to call you forth because here's the deal. The more things unravel out there and the more people are growing up in absolute brokenness and dysfunction, they're going to need a place to come where they can be loved to life. Anybody have any ideas on where they might show up? Vanessa, you got something in mind? (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) How about us? How about God's family? How about the church? Amen. Where can people be loved to life? Right here. And here's my concern. When it falls apart out there and the brokenness increases and people start showing up where they think they're going to find hope, hear me, saints, will we have the goods to deliver? Or will we be so shallow, asleep, carnal, that people come and they can't find freedom? I want you to personalize this. If somebody was struggling with sexual sin or sexual brokenness or sexual confusion, and they were your next-door neighbor, and they came looking to you for help, do you have the goods to set them free? Or do you just go to church when you can, when it's convenient, when you can fit it in, and there's not a million other things fighting for your time? I'm personalizing it. How many of you know Christ in us should have, we should have enough of him, enough of his power, enough of his anointing to set people free at some level. We can take them some way along the journey. We might have to pass them off, but this is something every one of you as men and women of God should take personally because there's not going to be enough hands on deck when there's a time of crisis. And I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart, we're coming into a time of crisis in our nation. Look with me on verse, uh, uh, I'm going to actually go back to chapter two beginning with verse 17, where we finished last Sunday. And I'll read fast for the sake of time. Dear brothers and sisters, after we were separated from you for a little while, notice Paul says, though our hearts never left you, we tried very hard to come back because of our intense longing to see you again. We wanted very much to come to you. And I, Paul, tried again and again, but Satan prevented us. After all, what gives us hope and joy and what will be our proud reward and crown as we stand before our Lord Jesus Christ when he returns? Paul says, it's you, the people that he's loved, the people that he's touched. Verse 20, yes, you, you are my pride and my joy. And again, of course, in the original epistle, there weren't chapters and verses. So Paul just keeps writing here. He says, finally, when we could stand it no longer, we decided to stay alone in Athens and we sent Timothy to visit you. He is our brother and God's co-worker in proclaiming the good news of Christ. The first thing I want you to see as far as spiritual fathers or mothers is we have to have in our hearts for people a sense of genuine fatherly love, motherly love. Look at the language Paul uses in these verses. He says, our hearts long for you. There's an intense longing. Our hearts never left you. You're our, you're our reward. You're our crown. You're our pride. You're our joy. I mean, this is a man who is connected relationally with these people. And I think sometimes in church, we think that the most spiritual are the ones whose, whose head is full of the most truth. But listen to me. God, God uses truth, but truth has to always be united with a heart that's a heart of a father or a mother. In other words, you have to care enough about people to take what's in here and be able to touch somebody with it. 
You have to love somebody with it. You got to get in the trenches with people. You've all heard it said that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Amen. It's about loving people. And Paul's not sitting back here as the theologian in his ivory tower philosophizing. Paul's saying, man, I'm yearning to be with you. I care for you. My heart's breaking for you. Let me ask you this question. Who in your life right now do you love that way? Who in your life right now do you have a fatherly or motherly concern for the condition of their soul to where you're thinking about how they're doing? To where the Holy Spirit might drop them in your mind and you pick up the phone and you call them to say, hey, I was just thinking about you. How many of you know when you look in the seat next to you, if there's seats missing, places empty, people that normally sit by you, that what we should be doing every week if we have a fatherly heart or a motherly heart is saying, hey, I wonder where they are. I haven't seen them in a couple of weeks. And you call people. Why? Because you care for their soul. That's what Paul did. We're brothers, we're sisters. He uses some amazing words here. He calls Paul, or Paul calls um, Timothy his brother in the faith and his co-worker. At another place, he called him a son. Now, this is pretty sweet. I was sharing first service. I remember distinctly the moment when my father, instead of treating me as a son, began to treat me as a spiritual brother. I still remember it. I sat there having an epiphany. I still remember exactly where we were on 93rd Street. I still remember where we were going. I still remember seeing my father behind the wheel. Isn't it amazing how certain moments are burned forever into your memory? And what happened was he had always been a great spiritual daddy in my life. But at that moment, he was talking to me as a brother in Christ. And I was like, whoa, this is awesome. And then you move from brother to co-worker. That word co-worker is where we get our word synergy in English. It's the, it's the Greek word synergon. It's an amazing word. What it means is when I partner with him, we accomplish a supernatural amount more by, by the working together for the gospel. How many of you know every one of us has to move from being a spiritual son or daughter to being a brother or sister to being a co-worker in the faith. It's all hands on deck. There's no room for people to sit. There's no spectator seats to watch. How many of you know you're called to labor? You're called to serve. You're called to give your life away. And everyone in this room, I'm telling you, we have the same path of development. Timothy started off as a baby, he started off as a son, as, as Aaron was talking about. He started off being spoon-fed, but now Paul calls him a brother, and he calls him a co-laborer. Every one of us in this room should be saying, where can I serve the body of Christ? Where can I use my gifts to be a blessing? How can I synergize with the people of God in this place to accomplish the vision and purpose of God in this region? Amen? So we need fatherly love. We need motherly love for people. Let me quickly go to point number two, a fatherly concern. Fatherly concern. I had a situation last night where one of my youngins, uh, we got some wires crossed, and she was not home at the time when I told her to be home, and she didn't call because she left her phone somewhere. Of course, none of you can deal with any of that kind of stuff. But um, as time went on, there was a sense of fatherly concern. How many of you know parents are concerned for their kids? There's a sense of, hey, this isn't looking so good. Are you okay? Is everything all right? Look what Paul does here in the next verse. Verse 2, we sent him, talking about Timothy, we sent Timothy to strengthen you, to encourage you in your faith, and to keep you from being shaken by the troubles you were going through. But you know that, listen to this, oh my gosh, it's in the Bible. You were destined for such troubles. Even while we were with you, 
We warned you that troubles would soon come. And guess what? They did, as you well know. This is why when I could bear it no longer, Paul says, I couldn't stand it any longer. I had to find out how you're doing. He sends Timothy. Listen, why did he send Timothy? To find out whether your faith was still strong. I was afraid, he says, that the tempter had gotten the best of you and that our work had been useless. Listen to Paul being real as a father. I know people that would condemn the language of Paul here because they say, Paul, you're not, you're not speaking with a positive confession. No, Paul was speaking as a dad. When he led these people to the Lord and he established this church, he told them before he left, I am prophesying to you. Trouble is on the way. Why is trouble on the way? Because we have an adversary who hates our guts. How many of you know the people that Satan goes after first are the ones that are the new babes? They're the weak ones. They're the children. Have you ever seen the lions out in the, in the, you know, in the wild when they corner? Who do they corner? They corner the elderly or the sick and they corner the little guys that aren't strong. That's who Satan goes after. And Paul says, I'm worried about you. I have a sense of godly concern for you. Because listen, you are destined for trouble. Divinely appointed for trouble. Put that verse on your refrigerator too and encourage your heart with that. Ah, we hate, look at this, we're already in chapter 3, we're still talking about this. I can't help it, it's in the Bible, there it is, bigger than life. What was the source of Paul's concern? Paul understands, and hear me, the target that Satan goes after is your faith. He goes after your faith. He asks questions all the time. Did God really say that? Is that really what the Bible says? What does the Bible mean? Uh, is God really for me? How come God didn't answer my prayer? What about this situation? What about, what about, what about, what about? What's he doing? He's constantly assaulting your confidence in God. That's why we've got to turn off some of the social media. We've got to turn off the TV. And we've got to do what people used to do before we were so sophisticated. They sat at home and they read their Bibles. And you know what they did when they read their Bibles? They got hope and confidence and they put some serious roots down because you're destined for trouble. Some of you are saying, Pastor, that's Paul. Paul got it. Paul probably got it wrong. You know, let's move on and get something more positive. All right, well, let's listen to Jesus. John 16, 33. I'm jumping ahead a little bit. I have told you all this, Jesus says, so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, thus saith the Lord, you will have many trials and sorrows. Jesus said that right there. But take heart, because I have overcome the world. Now, this is amazing. This is amazing. Amen. That's the good news. I want you to see something, though. In the Greek language here, the first have peace is a possibility. It's in the subjunctive mood. It means you can have peace if you choose to abide in Christ. But it's interesting, the second part of this verse, you will have afflictions or you will have trials, is in the indicative mood, which means it's an absolute guarantee, whether you like it or not. The choice isn't whether your faith will be attacked. The choice is whether or not you choose to abide in Christ and in his promises and live in the peace and overcome the world, even as he overcame the world. That's the choice before us. How about you? What are you going to do? Are you going to let your faith be shaken? Or are you going to learn to have peace in the midst of chaos sometimes? You know, when everything's swirling around you, you can either freak out like you don't know God, Or you can choose to dig in, burrow in, find God, worship your way into his presence and get established in what you know to be the absolute truth. Amen? That's our options. We don't have any other options. 
And I want you to see something here. Again, guys, help me because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do the condensed on the fly version, which is always a challenge, especially that word condensed. All right. Go back to the Philippians 2 passage. Why does Paul send Timothy? And I want to challenge you folks with this this morning. Why did Paul send Timothy? This is what, what Paul said about Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be also encouraged by learning news about you. In other words, how you guys are doing spiritually. Look at verse 20. For I have no one else like him who is so kindred a spirit, who, will, who is generally concerned for your spiritual welfare. For all the others who deserted me after my arrest all seek to advance their own interests and not those of Christ. Paul's not talking here about Christians versus non-Christians. We already know non-Christians are already living for themselves. Paul says the reason I'm sending Timothy is he's absolutely unique. You know why Timothy's unique? He burns with a passion for Jesus and for Christ's church. He cares about Christ's church, not the brick and mortar. I'm talking about the people Jesus shed his blood for. How many of you know in the next life to come, I will not be married to my lovely wife, although I believe I will know that she was my wife on earth and I will have great love for her, but I will not be related to her that way. I will not be the father to my awesome daughter, Caroline, although she will probably remember me on earth as her father. It's not like I'm not going to know her, but we will not be enjoying these relationships, which tells me this, this is important, but you all in the body of Christ is what's eternal. Does this make sense? They're vitally important. You're eternal. So we care about God's people. We, if Jesus shed his blood for all of you, how many of you know you're pretty important? Which means we start to develop a heart of a father or a mother where we care for people. Why do we care? Because we know your faith is going to be under attack. We know we're going to go through difficult times. We know stuff's going to come along that's going to shake us. And we need each other. We need the strength and support of each other. We need to value what God values. Let me just tell you something. There is nothing more important in the mind and heart of Jesus than his people gathered together to hear the word, to worship him. You will not find anything on God's priority higher than that. Therefore, connect the dots. It should be your priority. The people next to you should be your priority. I won't mention any names, but I have certain brothers in this church that will call me up, and they're thinking about life groups. They're thinking about about this aspect of the church. They're thinking about this ministry. They're calling me up on weekday nights, and, and just their conversation reveals to me the passion of their hearts. They might be doing 50 different things throughout the week. I don't care what occupation that they're in or what they do to make money. At the core of their being is Jesus and his church. That's what they're thinking about. When I see that, I go, ah, spiritual son, spiritual daughter. This isn't a profession. This isn't a job. We're the people of God. We are Christ's agenda in the earth. He's looking to us. And Paul says, I'm sending Timothy to you. He's got my spirit. He burns with my heart. He loves the church. He's burdened with the church. Paul's saying, I got to get somebody to you. How are you doing? Because there's a sense of fatherly concern. Do you care about Christ's church? Listen to me. I am so grieved 
You know, the reporter's calling up after the election. Hey, you know, what about the evangelicals? What about the church? What happened to the church? Uh, how come you couldn't get, you know, con- con- this conservative candidate elected here in Indiana? What happened to the church? I told her the truth. I said, the church is sick. The church is sick. We're impotent. We're irrelevant. We're currently getting our brains beat out. And I just want to ask you this question. Does anybody care? Does anybody care? Out of a sense of for the glory of God, do you care? The fact that he called us to himself, that we're supposed to be the head and not the tail, that we're supposed to be leading and not following. Does anybody care that we're not? I'm not beating up on anybody personally. I'm talking about the church globally. The church he shed his blood for. The churches should burn with a sense of holy passion for his causes. That church, do you care? Because you're part of that church. It's who you are. A father cares. If you look at your family and you check out how they're doing and some of them aren't doing good, your heart breaks. If you see one of your kids is struggling in your marriage, your heart breaks. If you see one of your kids is struggling in school, your heart breaks because they're your kids. They're flesh and blood. I shared first service. You know, we got the challenge to go to India after this Russia trip. And I just want to tell you, I don't like being out of the pulpit here more than a Sunday at a time. I think it's important that you have a shepherd and a consistency and all that good kind of stuff. Not like there's not many people who can step in and do a great job. There are. But I'm just telling you, I don't like that. And to miss two Sundays is a big deal. I try not ever to do that. But the reason we missed the second Sunday and made a U-turn and went on down to India is because I'll tell you why. I, I could see the faces of those students. They look at us because in our, sometimes we don't realize as Americans how much value and vision and encouragement we bring when we care about the church of Jesus Christ enough to invest in them and love them and believe in them and speak into them. And I just pictured that little William Carey's face, that big old smiley, those wonderful ears and big old eyes smiling at me. And I'll tell you what, I wanted to be there to cheer them on because I know some of them are going to areas where there is going to be trouble. Some of them may give their lives in India for the gospel. The least I can do is run by and be a cheerleader, hand them a certificate, pray God's blessing over them, tell them to finish the race. Why do we do that? Because we care about Christ's church. Everywhere. Everywhere. Not just the pastor. Everybody cares if you're saved. Is this making any sense? That's why we do this. Why do we invest that money? That's why we do it. And I'll tell you what, I want to do more. I have a friend on Facebook who's showing me what God's doing in Pakistan right now. Some of the people were just blown up, a bunch of Christians blown up at a, at a park. And here's what he's saying. We need Bibles. We need Bibles. Hungry for the word of God. I want to go to Pakistan. I want to be in a crusade with this guy. I want to, I want to help. I want to be able to invest and see Bibles get in the hand of these Pakistani believers. How are we going to do that? Listen, at some point, someone's got to write some checks. Someone's got to, someone's got to give up that McDonald's meal or whatever we're going to do. In other words, at some point where the rubber meets the road, you act like a spiritual dad. 
And remember what I said, the crown of gold or whatever, it's people. It's part of your inheritance. What do you want to leave behind? Is there a sense of fatherly concern? Do you pastor your nation? Do you pastor your workplace? I'll tell you what, if you're, if you're a teacher or administrator in the schools, I'll tell you what my dad did. My dad pastored the school. When crisis happened in the school, I mean, I know they weren't supposed to bring God in, but guess what? There's a crisis. Go talk to that religious guy. If you're a government official, you're a pastor over a region. You're pastoring a region. District 19, you're a pastor. When I ran for office and I walked over most of the houses in this region personally, I I would walk in my mind saying, thank you, God. If you open the door, I'll be a shepherd over District 19 and I'll shepherd this district for your glory. Everywhere we go, we're shepherding people. We're spiritual fathers or we're spiritual mothers. That's what we do. And we demonstrate concern for the body of Christ. Let me end up with this. Fatherly love, fatherly concern. I have to skip a lot of good stuff. You guys are talking way too much. Last is fatherly joy. Let me read with you here. Look on the screen and follow along. It says, but now Timothy has just returned, bringing us good news about your faith and love. His report, he reports that you always remember our visit with you and that you want to see us as much as we want to see you. So we have been greatly encouraged in the midst of our troubles and suffering, dear brothers and sisters, because you have remained strong in your faith. It gives us new life to know that you are standing firm in the Lord. And now we thank God for you because you, because of you we have great joy as we enter God's presence. Night and day, he says, we pray for you, asking God to let us see you again, to fill in the gaps in your faith. Oh, this is so good. I was at Caroline's tennis match yesterday, and some of you know, it was an absolutely miserable day to be playing tennis for like six hours. But fatherly love and concern causes one to do what one has to do. And I had a great time cheering my daughter on. But while I was there, I got a text out of nowhere, an instant message from Minnesota, from somebody who had just visited the church one time, a friend of Sasha Carlson's. Some of you know Sasha and Ryan. And she said this, she says, you know what? She says, I listen to the podcast every Sunday, sometimes two or three times. She says, Living Stones is like my church. I've never found a place where I connect so well, where I feel so encouraged and challenged and fed. And she went on and wrote probably eight paragraphs about you, about this place, about the word of the Lord. You know what it did in my heart? Life came in. Listen. When you love Christ and you love people and somebody's life has changed, it brings you joy. It brings renewed passion. The flip side is also true. When you've invested your life in people and they go AWOL and they crash and they burn, you grieve. Some people say, you know, I don't know how you do what you do. You're called to do what I'm doing. Let me just pop everybody's bubble. How do you do what you do? Um, You're called to love people. You're called to grow people. You're called to disciple people. You're called to give your life away. You're called to have an inheritance. Your crown is going to be all the people you've impacted. Am I talking to the right crowd? Say, oh, pastor, I don't know. Welcome. Welcome to the party. If If this is revelation for you, 
Well, I don't know if I can love like that. Yeah, you're going to love like that. Well, I don't like to be hurt. You're going to be hurt. Let me warn you. Thus saith the Lord. You're going to be hurt. That's why we're here to strengthen you, help you, encourage you. Right? Because listen, if you'll never risk being hurt, you'll never experience joy unspeakable, full of glory. I just told our pastoral staff this week at our leadership meeting, I looked them all in the eyeballs, didn't I, Pastor Tracy? And I said this, my greatest joy is for all of you in this season of your life to be in the sweetest spot you've ever been in, using your gifts for God's glory, being happier than you've ever been, seeing more fruitfulness than you've ever been. That, that makes my day. And I'll just tell you this, I can say that over every one of your lives. When you are going after God, when you're being fed, you're growing, God's using you, and you're going, Pastor, what a week. David just called us up. I love modern technology. We were having, Marion and I were having breakfast. We're sitting there, and my phone is exploding with instant messenger. It was multiple instant messages popping on my phone. It was David Walton. David was so full of God. He was preaching. I mean, he was. David, just tell the truth. He was preaching. Uh, it was so great. He was sharing the stuff God's teaching him, the blessing in his business, in his financial realm, the ideas he's been doing, the obedience that he's been doing as far as sowing. He experienced this incredible breakthrough, and I'm sitting there listening to him devote me. He's, he's my devotions for breakfast. And my heart was so full of joy. Why? Because when you're a father or a mother, there's nothing that you love more than to see your kids take it to the next level. I'm not like, well, man, my, my son's doing better than I ever did in, in math. No, thank God he's doing better than I ever did in math. Take it to the next level. I'm not threatened by your success. I just want to tell all of you, I'm not threatened by anybody's success in here. You, I hope you're a thousand times more anointed than I will ever be. And I will be your biggest cheerleader. Because that's what spiritual fathers do. They're not insecure and threatened. They're full of joy. Man, when you guys are rocking it, we're happy. When you struggle, we're burdened. When you don't see people for a while, you're like, hey, what's going on? Guess what? They're under a shaking. Guess what? We're concerned. Here's what I'm saying. Who who wants to be a spiritual mama and daddy with us? Okay, good. Two of you. Oh, no, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Boys hiding their hands. Remember, you have an inheritance coming. You're going to stand before God. What's the crown the Lord's going to allow you to cast at his feet? It's the lives you've impacted. And this isn't rocket science. It just means die to yourself and love and let God shape you. We're all at different seasons in here, right? Different seasons, different parts of the journey. Some of you said, I don't want to be a spiritual mom. I need someone to be a mom to me. Praise the Lord. We're going to help you. Hang in there. Some of you said, man, I'm just trying to get free. Praise the Lord. Relax. But here's my message. After Jesus sets you free, you move from being a baby to a brother or sister to a co-worker to a spiritual dad like the Apostle Paul and Timothy to where we begin to shoulder the weight of responsibility for God's work in the earth. Because listen, there's nothing more important in all of creation than Jesus' church and the health of his church. That's the message from Apostle Paul. Do you guys like that message? You're destined for trouble. 
But greater is he in you than he that's in the world. And in the midst of the trouble, we are going to blossom and flourish and grow and expand. And God is going to do great things. But hear me, last comment. Will you please share the concern when when the people that are looking for answers start flooding this place, will you be ready? It's a great question, isn't it? Do you have something to give from your intimacy, from your relationship with Jesus? Do you have something that you can give that's bread to somebody who needs help? Are you carrying the anointing of God on you that is something a tangible that you can say, let me love this person and help this person. Maybe you were in the similar place that they were in. This gets really real because I believe the shaking is coming. We're already seeing it. And when things shake, stuff starts to fall off the trees and people start rolling in. And you know what? That's when pastors start going, oh my goodness, where's all of our leaders? Where's our spiritual mamas and daddies? And I just want to say this, I'm fully confident In the grace of God, we will be ready. Amen? I'm confident. I believe in you, and I believe in Christ in you. We're going to be ready. Stand to your feet. We want to pray and bless you. If you want in on the deal, I want you to lift your hands as a sign of faith, and I just want you to say, Lord, count me in. That means you're going to be a spiritual mother or father in the body of Christ. That's your aspiration. That's your vision. Father, you see the hands that are raised right now over this place. Lord Jesus, we ask you for continued enlargement in our abilities, our heart, our passion for you, our consecration to you, God, our personal holiness, our intimacy with you, all the things that we need, Lord, to love a broken world, a broken planet, the way you've called us to love. Jesus, we want a massive inheritance. We we want to love so well that when it's our turn to stand before you, there's tons and tons of people who could point back to our life and say, you know what, thank you for what you did. You changed my life forever. God, that's that's the picture. That's the plan. That's the win for us. And so, Lord Jesus, in the midst of all this, help. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to rebuff what's taking place in Valparaiso on Thursday. God, bring confusion in the enemy's camp. We pray for moral clarity. We pray for passion and urgency and intensity from the body of Christ. God, we pray for an awakening in the pulpits of America and in our own backyard. You know, Pastor Phil Willingham from Heartland Church over in in Valparaiso, great man of God. He's been trying to rally pastors to stand with him. And as a result of all of his hard work in all of Valparaiso and Porter County, I think he's had two, two of them that have actually come forward. That is why I'm telling you that should break your heart when those responsible for spiritual leadership of a community will not stand for something that is clearly a biblical mandate and teaching. So God, forgive us. God, forgive us. Awaken the pulpits in this nation, Lord, we pray. God, awaken the churches. Awaken the hearts of the people, God, that we might not be sleeping through the sinking of our great nation. God, you've asked us to show up, to speak up, to stand up, to do what we can. Your job is to is to bless it. Your job is to bring forth the fruit, the results. Our job is to show up. So God, give us the courage to speak, to lead, uh, to do it with love. But Lord, even as we've got leaders all in this room, we pray for supernatural courage to fill our hearts for such a time as this. God, help us. Help us, Lord. We don't want 
to see our nation go down the tubes. We don't want to see judgment hit this nation. God, we want to see revival in the church and spiritual awakening in our land. So, Lord Jesus, help us. Marion, go ahead and share what you got. Um, I... I keep hearing when when Ron says it's a time for all of us to be ready and be equipped. I keep hearing the voice, but I'm not ready. I can't do this. I don't know what to do. And you know why I hear it? Because it's the same voice that has spoken to me my whole life. And I just was able to begin to have cheerleaders cheer me on a few years earlier and probably the last 20 years of my life saying, Marion, you can't do this. You don't know enough. You're not equipped, but in Christ, you can do all things. And so that's what I want to tell you. You know how you're going to learn how to do it by doing it, by showing up. I can't tell you how many times God has asked me to do something or I've been compelled by a circumstance right in front of my face. And I don't even have the time to say, God, is this you? Do you want me to, I'm there. So yes, he wants me to say something because I'm his daughter. And so those situations are going to come in front of you and the enemy's going to say, shut up because you don't know what to do and it's going to be stupid. But you know what? Even in my stupidity, even in my saying the wrong thing, God has honored that and he has taught me and he has seen a faithful heart that's willing to be a fool for him. And he's taught and he's trained. And every time he's shown up and every time I've learned more and every time I've gained more confidence. So God is saying, do you want to be a part of the fun or not? It is going to be really fun. We could take over the world if all of the church would get engaged. But if we sit on our behind and wait for somebody else to do it, then your kids and your grandkids are going to pay the price for your apathy. But if you will say, God, here I am. I'm a clay pot. I don't have a clue how to do this. And I'm scared to death. If you can use me, God, do it. God will do a miracle and he'll fill your mouth. That's how I have learned probably 99% of the things I've learned in God is by showing up at South Lake Mental Health, not knowing how to help this lady, not having anything to give her, but such as I have, I give thee. And the Holy Spirit speaks to me and he trains me and he fills me and I leave there so high, so high in God and his spirit. So I'm telling you, church, the world is looking for Christians who have gone to the high place, who've met with Jesus, who've let God fill them and spill out. We can do this in Christ. You cannot do it on your own, but that's where the fun is. So, Father, I thank you for the church triumphant. We are the church triumphant. Fill us, use us, and God, just push us, woo us, and just give us confidence in you, in Jesus' name.